very helpful for us as we go into this passage that we're dealing with this morning. It's very important for us in uh, thinking on the things that we just sang. And more importantly, to humble ourselves before God's Word right now and receive it humbly. We, we've, uh, we've already gone over the passage that talks about in meekness to receive the Word. Um, I want to encourage you now as we uh, enter into this time in God's Word to continue asking God for help in staying on track and not getting distracted. This world is full of distractions. And uh, right now, right now is the time that together we uh, corporately gather to worship, to lift up God's name, to lift up Christ, to magnify Him and encourage one another in those ways. So we come to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. So, I've entitled this message, Detecting an Affair. Anytime that word affair pops up, it's like everyone's attention, you know, comes up because that's the kind of thing that really we don't want to hear. When someone has an affair and it's a very serious issue, I have stopped counting over the years in Southern California and the years here in Fallon, America of the couples that have broken up. And um, it's a very difficult thing to deal with at any time. And many of you personally know of husbands and wives that have broken up. Many times due to an affair. Not all the time, but many times because of an affair. It's a very... uh, Strong and powerful, uh, in a negative sense, uh, subject that we talk about. Um, And so that is why a song like we just sang is so important that we understand what's beyond just the words of the song, but to the message underneath it, and that is, what are you satisfied in? What is it that satisfies your heart. You know, this is one of the ongoing issues of life. I realize I even get ahead of myself because this is what's on my mind. I shouldn't be talking about this till the end of the message. 
But we really, our hearts, I think it was Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And we will carry on with chasing after things in our lives. Is that me? It might be. I tell you, I think I've broken most of the microphones. <laughs> I don't know if that's what that is, but uh, anyway, we'll get it fixed. The guys will get that taken care of. I don't know what it is. Um, my electric personality. Okay. And isn't that something how that happens right when we're talking about what we're talking about? Okay. Um, I'm glad that I can say with great joy and boldness that I've had an affair with the uh, piano player in our church for a long time. (laughs) Not many pastors can say that. (laughs) All too often it's in a really bad sense and it causes problems. Yeah, they... Just to pack it. We go good to go, okay? So, as I've just read the passage in James chapter 4, you can tell that it's um, James is using very strong language. And so that's why I want to encourage each one of us in really getting rid of distractions and excess stuff because this is very important. And I need to remind you, this is something that's spoken to believers. It's not about the ungodly and the pagans. It's about believers. And so we start with this topic of detecting an affair with worldliness. And point number one is the disclosure of the evidence. The disclosure of the evidence in verse one. And again, James comes forth with another probing question by saying, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He did that before, previously. He throws out a question. It's supposed to cause us to think. Think about this. Consider it. And the simple reading here of the symptoms. He gives the symptoms of it. There's quarrels and fights among God's people. Whoa! Something's wrong with this picture. Okay? So that's what James is wanting to do. He's causing us to say, hey... Think this through. Why are there quarrels and fights? And by the way, it's, it's not with the, he's talking about the, the believers of the early church. You think there's the same thing going on with the believers of the 21st century? Yeah. Quarrels and fights. And then he tracks it to the letter B, the source. He says, is it not the, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Where do these quarrels and fights come from? They come from you. They come from me. It's your pleasures. Your pleasures that wage war within your members. 
Okay? And that's where we get this word that is translated from the Greek into the English known as hedonism. That's the word. That's the Greek word used here. Your pleasures that wage wars. Hedonism. And it's that idea that it's the desire to get what one doesn't have, yet you greatly desire it. We all know about that. We all know of that pull in our lives, that that desire. Oh, I got to have that. I got to have that. And it doesn't matter what someone else says to you. You just got to have that. And that's not just in one area of your life. That's in many areas of your life. Okay. And by the way, when we talk about pleasures, we're talking about the word lust or desire. And notice that James is not saying anything about sexual, sensual things. He's just, he's just shooting it out there to every aspect of your life. The ungodly pleasures and desires getting control of you or of me. Romans chapter 7, verse 23, you can jot it down, but uh, Paul says, but I see a different law in the members of my body, in your body, your actual physical body, they're waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 says that in reference <clears throat> to your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So really, all that James does here at this stage is reveal the evidence. It's the disclosure of the evidence and then quickly he moves on in point number two to detrimental conduct. Detrimental conduct. Okay. He said he's already mentioned quarrels and conflicts. They wage war in your members. Then he says in verse two, you lust and you do not have. So you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So under point number two, you see, excuse me, a listing of these detrimental activities that we choose to do. They don't just happen to us. We choose to do them. Quarrels, being contentious, being argumentative, having an argumentative spirit. And this is more about a a general attitude of being argumentative. I think most of us know others that you just don't want to be around them. They just always seem to be argumentative. Our kids aren't like that, are they? Children, young people, right? That's there for a reason. It's showing here's the aspect of worldliness coming forth. I want my way. And so I will reason in such a way that I'm going to get my way. So adults, we also need to be careful in this way and not 
not go there. Don't go there. So, being argumentative, being contentious. Letter B, fights. This is more, uh, when you look at the Greek word, this is more about uh, hand-to-hand combat, which relates to the idea of engaging in a war of words. A war of words. And more specifically, it, the Greek word implies like a skirmish. Not so much a general battle. That might be the first one of quarrels. But more about, here's a... Um, more of a, a, a one-on-one skirmish going on. Okay? Thanks, brother. <clears throat> so we've got quarrels and fights, letter A and B, and letter C. Now we get into the interesting one. Why murders? Why does he mention murders? Well, most of you understand that the... the the spectrum of biblical teaching. When, when it says in the Old Testament, thou shalt not murder, Jesus goes beyond that, what's literal there, don't take someone's life, and he goes to say, and don't you treat someone that way. What a shame that we as Christians, as God's people, can treat someone that way, and yet we do. We get our opinions going and then someone else goes against it and we're it's like we lose it and what we end up doing is labeling them we can eliminate them just like people say i'm gonna defend them from facebook well that we kind of giggle at that but in a real way people do that i i want to push the delete button you do too on certain people in our lives and again, is this just anybody? I, it seems like the context of what James is saying here is about Christians. So, it's, it's really trying to eliminate them from your life or calling them or labeling them, categorizing them as a dim-witted fool or an absolute no-good piece of garbage. Christian people don't do that. Do they? Let's not get caught in that, folks. Brothers, sisters, let's be alert to those kind of things. We know what Jesus said in Matthew 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verse 21. He said, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Those are not uh, anything, that's not light at all. That's very sobering, very serious from the lips and the heart of our Lord himself. So, From there we go to letter D, coveting. Coveting. Simply not satisfied with things in life. Always wanting more. Always, you know, somebody else's toys, somebody else's spouse, somebody else's bank account, somebody else's house, reputation. I just, you know, that's not a stretch. That's not an exaggeration. It's just that we don't want to identify it in our lives. 
And this is why we're so unhappy. Because we get our sights on something else. On someone else. It's due to, you know, it's why people are unhappy. It's due to an attitude of coveting that goes unchecked. The problem is you covet and cannot obtain. And the word for covet, you've heard this Greek word used before, epithumeo. Epithumeo is the word for lust. It's a strong impulse. It's a craving, a lusting, a yearning passion in our lives. Now, many people who have been walking with the Lord have disciplined their lives in such a way to chill those uh, cravings, as we say. But you know what? Even for older Christians, those cravings can pop back up again if left unchecked. <clears throat> so it's important that we continue to learn to repent Continue practicing repentance, confession of sin and repentance, turning away from it. Okay. Then letter E, conceited, specifically referring to one's prayer life or so-called prayer life. You do not have because you do not ask, it says. And when you ask, when you request in prayer, you ask with wrong motives. The word is also translated wrongly or improperly. And here's the, mo- the reason behind it. To consume it on your own passions. To spend it on your own lusts. It's like we can take what is spiritual and turn it into our own little um, self-centered, self-gratifying world. I'm praying about this. I'm praying. But, uh, you know, behind it is a selfish motive. And that's why we need to... Be in the Word and let the Word of God mold and shape our prayer life. Don't let your natural tendencies shape your prayer life. Let the Word of God, let the Spirit of God shape your prayer life. Pray pray Scripture back to God. Okay? Luke chapter 15, we have the the very familiar story of the prodigal son. And when he went to ask his father for his inheritance, his share, his portion, what was stated there? (laughs) He squandered it on himself. He went about with loose living. He began to be impoverished. That's the, the decline that we see in relation to this passage here with James. You know, you you do not have because you you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask out of the wrong motives. And that just is a downhill spiral. So that's a look at the detrimental conduct list. And based on that, we see here's the outcome in point number three, a disguised identity. I labeled it that as a disguised identity. Look at what verse 4 tells us. You adulteresses. That's what God identifies people that are influenced more with the worldly things of life than the spiritual things of life. You're, You're adulteresses. Now, we understand what that's connecting with. 
is like I said before, you know, with someone, you know, whether it's a male or a female, you know, you, you go off chasing another person and leave your spouse and you go off to an adulteress. And actually what you're doing is you're joining in with adultery, adultery. And nowadays it's really sad because it's like it becomes less and less of a deal. Why is that? And we don't, you know, the world doesn't want to call it adultery. You know, and again, here's, this is judgment on, on us really at, at large, the, the, the church and saying, you know, if, if we join in with that kind of mindset, it's wrong. You know, the whole idea of calling sin, sin, calling it adultery, calling it fornication. It's like, that's antiquated. You don't use those words nowadays. You go with something that's a little easier on the ears, right? Don't be, don't get so serious about these things. I mean, everyone does a fling every once in a while, right? That's the, that's the logic in this. It's let's reason it away. Let's rationalize it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And yet here, James isn't talking about anything sexually, so to speak. He's just saying, here's the problem. It's your, the pleasures that wage war in your heart. We could also say number three would be a disgraced identity because that's what's behind it. It's a, it's a matter of being, the condition is being disgraced. Spiritual adultery is the wrong kind of friendship, right? It's the wrong kind of connection, wrong kind of friendship, being too friendly with the very conditions that God saved you from. God saved you out of darkness. Don't go back into darkness. Don't conduct your lives in that way. We end up being too tolerant of things. Thus, worldliness gets involved. Being too tolerant. And so, it's a very excellent book by Jerry Bridges. If you haven't received it yet, I'd encourage you to get the book, Respectable Sins. And in Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges uh, gives a definition of worldliness. I think it's in your outline there. You can track along with this. Being preoccupied. Being preoccupied with the things of this temporal life. Then accepting and going along with the values and practices of society around us without discerning they are biblical. It's a very helpful definition there of worldliness. Being preoccupied with the things of this temporal life and going along with the values and practices of society without discerning if they are biblical. Now, we don't have to go very far for an example from the uh, Bible on worldliness. You can go right away to the book of Judges, which we just preached in not too long ago. And who's the example of worldliness in the book of Judges? Anyone? One in particular. I'll get a drink while you're thinking about that. Thank you. There's the example. And, and it's very evident. It's not a mystery. We're not stretching things. It's very evident. Here's an example of a man who's a Nazarite 
He's, he's committed to a vow to, to be God's man in God's place, you know, in God's timing and all that. And yet he demonstrated worldliness in his life. But also along with that, I go back to the book Respectable Sins and give you some little tidbits from Jerry Bridges on the respectable sins of worldliness. He gives them to us. There's three of them. Money, immorality, and idolatry in our day, in our age. For modern day Christians, these three especially are what cause worldliness in our lives. Regarding money, we are the wealthiest nation in the world. And yet all the while, what's increasing is credit card debt. Why is credit card debt increasing? Why does it keep going? And all, all we go back to is what James says, it's the pleasures in your heart. It's not because I, you know, I need this. I need that. It's because I want. I want. I desire. I lust. This is my pleasure. These kinds of things. And how are we spending our money? Is our money more important than God? This is the challenge for all of us. And I praise God, we, the elders, praise God for faithful giving on the part of Christians here. We want to encourage, you know, others that are not, that don't understand it, maybe haven't even, you know, connected about giving, that this is a part of the Christian's life. Not just for the really committed guys and gals, but for all believers to give freely as a gift at the offering time. And along with that, your life. Giving of your life. Giving in service to the Lord to others. So it is. It's a challenging thing. Is money winning out over God in our day and age? If money wins out in our lives, it's not God that loses, but you lose. We lose. And it's not about getting a big budget at the church. It's not about that. It's about giving to be a blessing. Okay? And we can say, oh, well, I give, I give to my neighbors as I see need. You know, well, wait a minute. That's, that's again, jumping beyond what is called for here in the body. Paul addresses it in 2 Corinthians about giving. 2 Corinthians 9, I think it's 11 there. So, money. Ask yourself, is God pleased with my giving? Could I be giving more? That's one area of worldliness because of how that shapes our thinking and our decision making. A second one, immorality. It's not the various overt acts of immorality that we're going to focus on now. Adultery, pornography, prostitution, etc., etc. Which all of those are unacceptable Right? It's what I said earlier. It's not the overt acts, but it's the covert acts of immorality that goes on within the body of Christ. It's unacceptable. And we think, we rationalize and say, well, no one else is around. No one else will see. uh, And we take liberty to indulge. As a young boy growing up in Minnesota... 
I came across out in the middle of the field, beyond the baseball field, pages of Playboy magazine. It wasn't even in the day of iPhones. But I I feasted my eyes. Lots of other guys did too. And parents weren't watching. So there. But now it's on HBO. It's on regular TV and in more subtle ways, which that's going to change in the future also. That will keep going and going. And then, yeah, your children having personal iPhones that, you know, can be accessing the websites. And on it goes. So it's a, it's a mess. And so parents or grandparents even, you know, being involved in that, in thinking about being alert to it because it's happening. Ladies, please take care, of, you know, continue to, I'll say it that way first, continue to and take care of how you dress. Be modest in your dress. Or are you going with what the world approves of in the newest fashions? Be careful how you dress. Because for guys, guys, take care of where your eyes go and where your thoughts go. Doesn't matter how old you are, men. You can be in your 70s or 80s and still have the, you know, it still can kick in. See, this is where it, this kind of a worldly factor really um, goes under the surface and, and really undermines so much of the Christian process of growth. And it's something that we just want to keep covered up. We don't want to talk about it because it's just a little embarrassing. Men, if you're having a... a a difficulty with it, if you're addicted to pornography or if you're just having a struggle with things, we want to be a place that you can feel free to come and talk to one of the guys, one of the pastors, one of the deacons. We want to be a, a help in that way. But you, you, most of you get it. You know, it, it's that connection. Here's, here's the way women dress nowadays. And it doesn't take much for a guy to get, you know, get his thoughts going. And so women, don't be a, don't add to the problem in that way. But it's not just the, uh, you know, on the women to be responsible. It's guys, watch where your eyes go and watch where your thoughts go. Because it is the, one of the most dangerous areas for stumbling and for being in bondage. And oh, I wish. Maybe all of us would have more connection with talking to someone that's been molested or raped and getting their perspective on it. What do you think that would be like? And so, that's immorality. Then idolatry. Idolatry within the church, yes. Idolatry is just that thing of where we worship things and we, we kind of say, no, 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 I don't worship those things. I work hard at it, but it can go very subtly into worship. Because 
as Calvin said, our hearts are worship factories, idol factories, I'm sorry, idol factories, okay? So we got to watch that. And so obviously areas that we show idolatry is in a person's vocation, what we make of our jobs, of our of who we are. Uh, secondly, in regards to a very current issue, and that is our political and cultural stands, that becomes idolatry. If someone disagrees with you on a political issue right now, it's like, you know, how do we treat them? You know, how do we respond? Not just how we treat them, but how do we respond? And it's very important not to let that get higher than, more important than our relationship with Christ and our worship of the one true God. And oh, a third one, let's throw that in also. People's passion for sports. Yeah? We got to, you know, I know. I'm there with many of you. We have our favorite teams. But let's, you know, in light of this, let's be very cautious in how we respond and and how we handle things in this regard. So you don't want to get the wrong kind of enemy, right? We've got the wrong kind of friendship. That's with the world. But the wrong kind of enemy is God. You don't want God as an enemy. And you say, no, no, but you don't get it, Woody. I, I'm forgiven. God loves me. Well, why is James saying this for crying out loud? You're just wasting our time or what? what? What's the deal? He's saying, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, makes himself an enemy of God. And notice that I want to go back in that first phrase. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, let that sink in. Whoever wishes to be has, has thoughts about it. <clears throat> oh, I just wish we, I wish we this or that. Okay. So we easily become engrossed in the things of the world unless, unless we have Christ is our focus. Okay, so that was 3A, spiritual adultery. 3B, by such involvement of spiritual adultery, you place yourself in letter B, spiritual quandary. You just leave things, you, you confuse the issue. You, you bring things into a perplexed state of, of a condition there. You're confusing the issue of who you really are. That's your identity. Are you a spiritual adulterer? Or are you God's child? Living and acting that way. And here at this point, I want to ask, I want to throw this out for your consideration. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you are not saved. Maybe you, I mean, you, listen, you could be attending church all your life and still not be saved. Do you understand that? And the reason is you're relying on yourself and your own righteousness or your own opinions. You're not relying on Christ as Savior and Christ as the righteous one 
who died in your place. You know those things, but you're, you're self-deceived in thinking anything else. So who are you really? Who are you? Living like the world totally contradicts Jesus and his will. Living like the world totally contradicts Jesus and his will. Who are you? What are you going to be like tomorrow? And then secondly, what are you doing? What you're really doing is you're searching for temporal pleasures. You're searching for satisfaction in the wrong places. I know because I do it. I admit, and you do it. And so we've got to say, I've got to recognize those things, and I, I need to come back to identify myself as a child of God that walks in that way, that confesses sin quickly, that turns to faith in Christ again and again and again. It's not asking to be saved again and again and again. It's confessing your sin on a regular basis and practicing repentance in your life and turning back to faith in Christ. And this is the problem. (laughs) A multitude of church-going people missing out on God's best because they're searching for things in the wrong places. They're searching for satisfaction in the wrong places. Okay. Point number four leads us to what I believe is this description. Point number four, the delight of my soul. And it's verse 5. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. Verse verse 5, the point there is to reveal God's strong and protective, yes, jealous love. There's another alternative uh, interpretation of this. Some interpret this verse to mean that your spirit, your individual spirit, intensely is envious. Meaning, you're, you're, you are. You're chasing after all sorts of things in life. And then another interpretation is, it's God's spirit that jealously desires the spirit he's caused to dwell in you. I don't know if you track with that, but there's there's two sides in this, with this particular verse. It's not an easy verse to um, unpack. It's a challenge in a, in a way. Okay. The King James Version. Many of you have the King James Bible, and and it says the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. The New International Version says, The Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely. So, I believe, you know, that this is, you know, you try to read it in the context of the passage. Okay? And what it's building to. So, I, I believe it's getting at, here's God's Jealous love that's coming forth for his children to turn from the worldliness and turn to him. Scripture's purpose here regarding the delight of my soul, point number four, letter A is scripture's purpose 
that yes, it does speak with purpose. It's for your sanctification and for your satisfaction in Christ. But there's got to be application. It's got to go beyond the hearing of the word to the doing of it. So we're called to be doers. It also reveals the Savior's pledge, letter B. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It's for his praise. It's for his adoration. It's for his priority. And it's, I believe it's for our true satisfaction. There's nothing greater to pursue. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do in word and deed, do some of it in the name of our Lord. No, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So it's a commitment to him, a commitment that he has to his own children. And thus the response would be for us to give him glory. That's the the purpose of our lives, to give him glory. Okay. So whether you eat or drink, you're going to go out and have lunch here in just a little bit, probably. Or maybe go home and have lunch. But whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. That's what Paul is, is saying there in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Do all for the glory of God. What's the delight? As we wrap this up now, what's the delight of your soul? And challenge yourself on that answer throughout the week. What's the delight of my soul? Let's be a people who forsake the self-gratification ways. And let's embrace what Jesus called for. Self-denial. That's what he says. You want to follow me? Then let deny yourself. Take up your cross and come follow me. That's the plan of the gospel. Not self-gratification. And that's sliding into Christianity all the time. You want to be happy? Let's talk about, you know, the five ways to be happy. And it's about, really, it's about us. It's not about the scripture. It's not about the gospel. So let's embrace what Jesus called for, self-denial. Psalm 81 Just jot this down. Psalm 81, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Stop right there. He delivered you. He delivered. Are you a Christian? He delivered you from the bondage of sin. And that equates to the bondage of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, he goes on to say. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. There's satisfaction In Christ, verse 16, the end of the Psalm 81 says, I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. How many remember Keith Green? Keith Green. Okay, some of you don't. That's all right. Keith Green comes into our Closing right now with one of the songs that he sang. Some of you know where I'm going. I can't play it or sing it like he did, but so you want to go back to Egypt? You want to go back to Egypt? Christian, do you want to go back to Egypt? In his first verse, he says, 
So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket? There's meaning with that. The one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but it's now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your old backyard? So that's the issue that we face. We tend to want to go back to the world's ways if we're not focused on Christ. So my friend, brother, sister, let's stay focused on Christ. Walk with Him, draw near to Him, delight in Him. Let's stand and we'll close with a passage and prayer. Just bow your heads and your hearts right now and listen to this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Dear Father, we bow before you and pray that you would help us in declaring your works to those who are in need, to those that we are uh, near to. I pray that the works that we would share would be centered upon your gospel truth. Lord, we are a people that want to see your family grow. We, are, we want to see people come to faith in Christ and be baptized and grow in the things of God. And so please help us to share in a ready, eager way your truth. And thank you, Lord, that there is no one besides you. You are the one that satisfies the weary soul. Thank you for being who you are. We praise you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming this morning.